0: Clutch. Well, welcome back, everyone. I am Heather Lofthouse, and each Saturday, Professor Robert Reich and I record this coffee clutch for you all. We cover the highs and the lows the lows and the highs of the week. Bob is actually out today. So when the cat's away, the mice will play. We have with us a terrific colleague of Bob and mine. His name is Michael Lahanis Calderon. Michael, welcome. Hello.
1: Such a pleasure to be here and uh, clutching.
0: Exactly. Um, So Michael works at Inequality Media Civic Action with us. He is head of digital strategy, and he helps us make many of our videos. And Bob and I often talk about messaging and how to educate in this world of digital information and the internet. And we both thought it would be fun for all of us here who follow Bob on Substack, to hear from Michael, who is, may I discuss your generation, Gen Z? Please, why not? So he is Gen Z. And he is an advisor for us, and a producer for us, and a strategist for us. We work all together. And one of the main platforms Michael works on is TikTok. So I want to ask you a full, a few questions. The week had its ups and downs. We know about this, Liz Truss.
1: Mm. The lettuce Anything? outlasting Liz Truss, um, <laughs> incredible. I got to say, whoever whoever at that British publication uh, decided to give it a go, which, you know, talking about digital, what a genius digital move. Everyone was, you know, <laughs> eyes locked on the lettuce live stream and they kept adding things. It was lovely. But um, yeah, what a downfall, a trickle downfall
0: a trickle downfall is it um and then we had some polling that was interesting and some polling that is, makes us bite our nails and some that doesn't but i think what holds for us is we're doing what we can at the margin right the midterms are coming and what we attempt to do is digital education at a time when screens are ubiquitous people don't take in information in the way they used to with you know, books, tapes, God forbid, I say tapes. Um, So tell us a little bit, how are young people processing information? And this is I'm asking you as a young person, but also given your day job and the way you strategize about social media?
1: Well, it's a good question. And I think it's one with many answers, depending on which young person you ask. But you know, the broader trends in terms of what social media platforms people are gravitating towards young people, that is, tend to be short form and vertical. Uh, Vertical meaning uh, it fits your phone's screen. So there was a great uh, Bloomberg article that had some research from Piper Sandler, I think it was, that showed that as of this year, the top social media platform for teens, um, or rather it was their self-reported favorite social media platform was TikTok, just edging out Snapchat, which I know most people who are not in Gen Z would not be using, uh, and even Instagram, which I think Outside of the Gen Z sphere, people tend to associate with younger people to begin with. But you know, older generations have been making moves uh, to become more online, and so it's it's sort of interesting to see how the popularity has been shifting um, per platform by generation.
0: Now, Michael, what are what are we talking here? Numbers? How many people? I mean, is it four young people? Is it four million young people? Is it the majority? What are? Give us some a sense of the population tuning into things like TikTok for information writ large. Well,
1: I I believe TikTok just passed over a billion users last year. So you know we're talking hundreds of millions of those, uh, predominantly being young people. And, you know, the same is true on a smaller scale for platforms like Snapchat, obviously Meta's products, Instagram and Facebook still have a a fair sway over hundreds of millions of young people as well, which is why, you know, in our work, even if they're not the cool platforms anymore, we still make an effort to reach young people who are there, rather people of all ages.
0: Um, Maybe we put a TikTok in the Substack that we post with this clutch so people can see what we're talking about. There's an idea, there's some digital education for mm-hmm. you. But I guess, so when I take, when I watch TikTok, I feel like I have to take a Dramamine. Do you know what that is for-
1: Oh, that's for-, for s- motion sickness. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so quick. And then I have to watch it again and again and again. And and I'm like having to buckle up like I'm on a you know, wild ride. Why is that? I don't understand. Why does it have to be so quick and short and fast? And I mean, I've watched you edit things, you take out the breaths. Oh because that's true. how quick. Tell us about that. Well,
1: I you know, the we always talk about how the first few seconds of any video on any platform are crucial. You know, even looking at our longer explainers that we do with Robert. Um, or Bob as I still feel very nervous to call him, to be quite honest, um, it, it's all about a good hook. And when the platforms have you know, gravitated towards content being 10 to 20 seconds, you're talking like a millisecond to grab somebody's attention. And to hold that attention, you, you gotta keep moving fast too. Um,
0: Can I ask a question on yeah. that? So this is because these videos are being served to people and they have a nanosecond to either scroll past or click on it whether that's Facebook, YouTube. And so you you just said we have 3 seconds to grab someone. Mm-hmm. And that seems that's probably long for you. You're like, "Oh, we have a full 3 seconds here. What are we going to do with it?" That's wild.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's even something that's overwhelming for younger people too. I know, you know, some of my peers who've made deliberate efforts to get off of social media because of the intensity of those, you know, algorithmic distribution modes and you know the, the constant need to scroll and I, there's a bigger conversation to be had about that. but for the ones who are on the platforms, um, you know it's not just that I would add that it's the preference of young people to some extent the platforms are molding that preference right by encouraging yeah. people to continue using them and then they become the popular platforms so that's what you're used to. And also I think that you know young people's time it's valuable. There are a lot of people working demanding jobs uh, for grueling wages or who just don't have very much free time. And so a platform that promises unlimited entertainment and information in a very short amount of time is pretty appealing.
0: Right. Now, when we make a video, okay, or when you make a video, we think about the first three seconds. Our topics tend to be on, I would say, reframes of... Issues around inequality, most skew economic, Mm -hmm. right? This seems to be a gap on these platforms, people being able to get through with compelling content that talks about the economy, the political economy, the distortions, the inequalities. Um, But then you add graphics to things. How are people... What is an average video? Is there such thing as an average video video? for us and just in general, how do you design a video to get through the noise?
1: Well, another good question. Um, I think it really depends on the platform and you know the audience we're hoping to reach. Like I think if it's specifically TikTok and it's specifically young people, you can throw up some some very basic graphics. You know, sometimes we'll have a graph or a bar chart or a headline. Right, you can include that in what we would define as graphics. Um, and they have a small amount of screen time, just enough for you to grasp the core point with, you know, obviously Bob's voiceover, and then we got to move on. Um, but right. without that supporting information, that substantiation, I think that, you know, it, it makes it a little bit harder for you to portray yourself as a legitimate source. In some ways, people really want to have everything right in front of them. They're not going to go to the comments and copy paste the title of the headline that you originally read to make the video, or the the article, that is. They don't have the time or they don't want to make the time for that. And so if you can give them what seems to be the valuable stat in the 10-second video, that's going to be a lot more valuable and shareable too, right? And right. as long as it's accurate, I'll add as well, because that also right. builds legitimacy for yourself.
0: Right. The thing that I see you doing is putting words on screen that repeat key phrases that Bob says or that Bob has written or that other writers that we work with or even other presenters. So there's this repetition of what's said and what's seen. Um, Would you say that that's Accurate and needed and important.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, every little section of these videos kind of has its own thesis statement um, Sometimes we literally put them up as guideposts in the video and we'll say, you know This is denoting the new section where we're gonna talk about subject X But other times it is, you know, an emphasis point like we want to call out the stat or we want to call out, you know A particular call to action um, I'm, I can't think of a specific example off the top of my head, but you can imagine say a, a video about the road decision and you know, at highlighting the name of the specific case or a quote from a Supreme Court justice that Bob, you know, Bob or someone else is reading out that really hits home uh, the, the importance of what we're trying to communicate.
0: Right. The other thing I would say is that what you put on screen, you mentioned bar charts or graphs matters, right? So we we've talked a lot about Edward Tufte, a statistician, a professor who was one of at the forefront of talking about how, visual displays of information mm. and how we put numbers and quantitative data in front of eyeballs so that it actually gets into brains. And I do think you think and the rest of the team very carefully about this. Um, we don't want the art art and say details and filigree um to get in the way and the gorgeousness to get in the way of critical information that needs to cut through. So that's been something it's it's a fine balance between making it visually appealing, especially for young people. Again, attention spans are short and the and there's competition in terms of what they're being served, but also to make these complex issues about markets, about whether it's, you know, corporate concentration, to to put it in a way that gets into people's minds, it takes a lot of attention and time. How do you figure out what to do when? Does it come naturally? Do you research it? Do you use lots of different software? What's your process? Uh,
1: well, it depends again on which which kind of video you're talking about. You know, when I think about our our hero explainer content, as we like to call it, which is the widescreen video that you'll see on YouTube. I think it is uh, sort of a, a compromise between our very talented motion graphics artists who do all of the lovely designs and things. I remember in particular one graph we had where they had a, a lovely dollar bill design in the corner, and we were going back and forth in the notes and saying, you know, this is amazing, and we love it, but we really need the audience to focus on the data that we're presenting, and it's got to be clear, mm-hmm. the colors have to be a contrast that makes it easy to read and understand, um, and... You know, that's kind of that's the same approach that we have for the shorter stuff, too. Right. It's fast. And in some cases, we are going to ask that you watch it again because it is so fast. But we still want it to be understandable the first time around when possible.
0: That's it. Well, so, well, I mean, this has been so fun. What else do we do with Professor Reichgun? I mean, we have this platform we could go crazy. That's true. (laughs) Um, I know. I think what might be interesting, so one video we put up this week, um, Bob isn't actually in it, but it is about, um, it is recordings of CEOs at earnings meetings, earning reports, Mm. earnings calls, blatantly talking about how inflation is great for us and let's keep prices high in spite of it all and regardless of the fact that costs are lower or the same and not rising at the same, you know, cadence and speed and slope um maybe we should put that in our post as well do you want to talk a little bit about how that uh video is an example of something that we would put out mm-hmm. and why
1: yeah i mean i think that's a great example of our competitive competitive advantage as we like to discuss often in that we will seek out and highlight things in you know the economic uh sphere that aren't you know are overlooked if you're not really deep into it right unless you're an investor for one of these companies or a financial reporter there's not much incentive to go and listen to the earnings call for PepsiCo, right? And yeah. so we, with the help of, you know, some great partners and collaborators and other people in the space, like the Groundwork Collaborative, um, who helped mm-hmm. uh, do a lot of the research on this, we're able to dive in and pull out these kind of insane quotes that corporate CEOs across sectors are saying, almost not just for the investors, but to each other to signal that, hey, we're going to be raising prices because we know and understand that our consumers are going to keep buying regardless. Like, it's as blatant and as literal as that in some of the quotes. And I, I find it remarkable that you know, mainstream news organizations have only recently, and I guess recently in these past few months, started to pick up on these themes. But you know, it, corporate CEOs still get all of this airtime on mainstream media as well to, to give their side of the story as it were, um, which is just that, well, it's not me, it's X or it's Y it's, it's, and it's blatant price gouging in, in so many cases.
0: Right. Right. And I think you're right to call out the mainstream media, but also I would even say, you know, in terms of how the Democrats are messaging, Hmm. I think there's more room for more messaging around these issues that pull so high that, people are frustrated with around inflation and really pointing out that it's not simply choices made by an administration. It's not simply wars overseas. There is a corporate issue here that is, you know, a key driver of inflation. And I don't think that's said enough. So I think you're right that we're filling in gaps. Um, At least we like to think we are. Well, let's wrap up We hope everyone at Substack has um, a decent week weekend. We have two weeks till the midterms. Everyone keeps chiming in in the comments saying, this is what I'm doing and providing links. It really is a tremendous resource. So thank you as always for going into the comments, telling us what you're up to, telling us something hopeful, telling us something you're stressed about. or working through. Michael, thank you for taking the time to come on today and sharing your wisdom with us.
1: Such a pleasure to be here. And, you know, hopefully I'll poke in again some other time when Bob is away.
0: We would like it, or when Bob is here, because I feel like I would love to talk to both of you, or you can have my. You know, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Seat and my mug, my seat and my mug of coffee. Um, so we will leave with one of our tre- tremendous theme songs that you all have composed for us. We'll play that. Professor Reich will be back in the coming weeks. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and um, keep up the good fight and be well. <laughs>